when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamotte. Hello, darlings. Sorry, Delamont, with you, the attorney whisperer, for another episode of From Hostage to Hero. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well this beautiful fall that we are in. And we will start with a reader shout out. Uh, this is by Doug W. It's on the Trial Guides website. And he says, Trial Lawyer, that's how he, he titles it. I've relished many enlightening books written by terrific trial lawyers, but almost all kept me viewing jurors as I do at trial, looking at them, objects across the bar. Now I have sat among them. Well, I'm so glad that the book has allowed you, dear Doug, to really see things from the jurors' perspective. I think that's our primary job as trial attorneys is to really understand the experience from the juror side because once we understand that we can really help shape it and and move the jurors toward a verdict in our favor so thank you for your comments well if you haven't done it yourself you need to go over to trialguides.com and either purchase the book or review it if you've already purchased it And again, we're also asking for you to review the podcast uh, wherever you do that or listen to the podcast because that actually helps people uh, find the podcast. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be so helpful, not just for me, but for your fellow trial lawyers. All right. So today we are talking about the problem with finding a fair and impartial jury. <laughs> uh, this has been a, a, a topic that we have talked about back in the H2H crew. And as you know, I get all my ideas from working with you guys and, and the things that you are bringing up. And the question that I want to ask today is whether or not we can, two things, whether or not we should be asking or find, trying to find a fair and impartial jury. And, and the second question, which of course informs the first, which is can we actually even find an impartial jury or, or a fair jury? This is, this is the, the issue that I find is that we talk a lot about fair and impartial and we say it in Wadir. Listen, the only reason I'm asking this is because everybody here wants a fair and impartial juror, jury. But as one of the H2H crew members said the other day, they said, I don't even say that anymore because it's not true. It's not true. I don't know that I want a fair and impartial jury. And at first thought or first glance at that, or if you're a juror listening to this, I don't know why you would be, but if you are and you're like horrified, let me give me a chance to explain is I, I don't know that that's necessarily what we are after in the justice, I, I want to say leak, but <laughs> process, right? Here's why. Again, you know I love my looking up the names or the definitions of, of words, um, maybe because English is my second language, but the, the word impartial, if you look it up, it says treating rivals equally. And the word Fair is in accordance with rules or standards. So when we're looking at 
whether a jury can be fair and impartial, I think we need to look at those two things separately. All right. So the first one in terms of impartial is that we the definition is treating rivals equally. And I would suggest that that is definitely not what we want from jurors. Yes, we want them to listen to both sides. But in that listening, we want them to most definitely not treat the other side, the other side's argument as equal. Because here's the thing, it is not equal. Y'all know this, right? Now, I love this, you know, frivolous um, lawsuits. And I don't know if it's Nick Rowley who started it or who did, but the idea of asking jurors about frivolous lawsuits and then asking about frivolous defenses. In many of our plaintiff cases, if not most, the way they're being defended is frivolous. They don't have a leg to stand on. Now, maybe we should we should still want an impartial jury, but I think if we're actually looking at what it is we're up against, companies that do not want to take responsibility for their employees or for their products or or for the mistakes that they've made, we don't want that to be an, an equal argument because it's not an equal argument. That's not what it is. And the second thing, and when we look at the idea of fair, I think our definition of fair is different than a juror's definition of fair. Meaning if we take the actual definition of fair, which is in accordance with rules or standards, what we're basically saying in trial is what we want the jurors in in terms of fairness, what we want them to do is follow the law, right? So we want them to follow the standards that the judge gives them. But what jurors hear when they hear that we're looking for a fair jury is they're thinking that we want someone that has no biases. In fact, we say that, don't we? We say to jurors that we're looking for people that don't have bias. Guess what? Everybody has biases. Everybody has biases. So that's not even a possible thing. What I think it is that we're looking for, and we're looking for jurors in trials, is not fair and impartial. What we're looking for is jurors that want to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, they're going to follow the law and what the law says about that right thing. That, that is what I think is what we're really after. And so we need to give up the ghost of the fact or the or putting on the show that we're looking for fair and impartial jurors because we're not. Even if we, we, we wanted non-biased jurors, we won't ever get them. Our life experiences bi- bias us. It, they just do. We have to take that into account instead of trying to find a situation and where that is not present because it doesn't exist. People are always going to have their biases. And then this brings me to the the attempts that we make when we attempt to try to get the jury to admit they have bias as if it's some bad thing or even if it's a good thing. I just don't think it works. 
So for example, if you are, are working on a case that has to do with racism, it's very easy to try to figure out like, how do I get the jurors to admit they're racist? Like we think we can do this is, is the issue for me. And I don't know that we can. And even if we could, I don't know that would be super helpful. So, so one attempt I've seen is, you know, from the day we're born, we are conditioned by our parents, teachers, schools, TV, media, Hollywood. We are hurt by these teachers, friends, and parents. We're told we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. And we become conditioned to having preconceived thoughts and feelings about certain things and people and how and why things happen the way that they do. We all have our own anxieties, fears, insecurities, biases. We have our unique thoughts and experiences dealing with daily issues and principles in life. We have our thoughts and beliefs about family, marriage, race, work, education, lawsuits, money. We need to explore some of these thoughts and beliefs and experiences here in Wadir. We need to explore these thoughts and experiences together because I need to get to know you better to find out who wants to be a juror on this case. And so in order to do that, we need to have a brutally honest conversation about your thoughts, experiences, and beliefs. Are you willing to have that conversation? So on first glance, you might think, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, that works. Yeah, well, not really, because I think jurors can sense when they're being buttered up. Like when, when, when we or Jerry Spence, who kind of coined this whole, whole way of doing it, say, look, we, we all have biases. I, I can admit I'm racist. Who else can admit they're racist? I just think in today's climate that you're not going to find a lot of people who are going to admit that they are racist. And I will also um, purport that there are so many people who are racist or do racist things, right? I, I agree that those two things can be different and don't know it, right? They think it's just a joke. They think that's what everybody does. They don't mean any harm, whatever it may be. There needs to be a lot of educating around what racism is and how we all participate in racism on one way or the other, because that is like systemically how the Western world, at least, if not the whole world, is is put together, right? Now, I don't want to get in an argument with you about systemic racism. I think you might have an idea where I stand on that line. That's not the point here today. My point is, is that even if we could get jurors to admit their biases or their racism or their racist thoughts or whatever it is we might be talking about, I don't know that most jurors could do that, even if they were willing to, because most people aren't aware enough about the racism or the bias that is in them to begin with. It's kind of reminds me of the um, famous study of tennis players, I believe it was, or, or, or athletes in general, where they went and they, they asked them, how is it that you do this, this, this winning shot or this winning golf swing or this winning whatever? And they had the athletes tell them verbally, step by step, well, I do this and I bring my arm back and then I make sure I follow through and, you know, whatever it may be. And then they hooked them up to all kinds of machines and videotaped them. And what they found was that that's not what they were doing at all. What, what they thought they were doing was one thing. What they were actually doing is another. So even these really well-trained, conditioned athletes couldn't tell you how they did the amazing thing they did, even though they thought they could tell you. Which is my other point, is that sometimes that jurors will share with you what they think it is, and that's not actually what it is. 
Now, at this point of the program, you might be like, what's the point? We can't, what, nothing works? What do we do? Well, there are definitely things that you can do. For example, on the racism issue, one of the things I was working on with with a, a client of mine was just opening with the, the question after saying, you know, this case involves um racism or we're going to be talking about racism in this case or you're going to be grappling with that as jurors however you want to do your what we call your context statement meaning the statement you give jurors before you start down a line of questioning so they know why you're asking the questions you're going to ask is that you just after that statement say who here has ever experienced or witnessed racism Right. So that gives people an out. It gives them a chance to say that they've experienced it or witnessed it. And if they want to, they can say that they've they've done it right, that they have they themselves have done a racist thing. But it leaves it much more open ended. But again, not the point of today's podcast, which is the problem with finding a fair and impartial jury. The problem, again, is that I don't know that we can find one and I don't know that we should continue to say that we are trying to find one when we're actually not doing that. Again, we want a jury that will do the right thing and follow the rules as they're doing that thing. That, that is what we hope for. And I believe strongly, firmly, that plaintiff trial attorneys are the ones who are attempting to have the right thing done, right? Someone hurts someone else, they're responsible. I mean, that goes back to when we were children. If you hurt some, someone or if you broke something, you had, to, you had to make up for it. You had to make it better. You had to make it right. And that's what plaintiff attorneys are doing in the world. But I, I think it's an act of almost self-sabotage or or hypocrisy even, to say that we want a fair and impartial jury when it's not really what we want. And you might say, well, why why does it matter what we say? Well, I think it totally matters what we say. As you've heard me say in previous podcasts, that our language shapes our experience. But the way we talk about things and the way we believe things really influence our behavior. I mean, where does nonverbal communication come from? It, it flows from our beliefs about who we are, about how the process works, all of those things. So when we get really clear about what it is we are there to do, that changes the things we actually end up doing. So if we are thinking that I want a fair and impartial jury First of all, it's a fool's errand because, again, everyone has biases and everyone has their, their belief systems that they come into trial with. We, they literally cannot leave those at the door. We, we ask them to do that. It cannot be done. So we're asking them to do something that's impossible, which makes the whole process harder than it is, right? So if you say things like, we're looking for a jury that has no bias, then, then the jurors already think, well, this is impossible, Right? Or we want you to share your bias. No juror is going to do that because we don't believe we're biased, right? So again, we're now on a dead end road. Or we want you to be fair when what we really want them to do is follow the rules. That's the kind of fairness we're talking about, right? Where they're thinking fairness in a different context. So for example, as many of you know, I'm a first generation Finn. My parents um, are both immigrants. And to this day, my mom still has a green card. My dad ended up becoming a citizen. And so 
it's been very interesting to watch all of the stuff going on in the world, in the media, in the United States around illegal immigration, um, which, you know, I always say people aren't illegal. But the, the point, meaning that people coming over the border and not having gone through the proper channels that the U.S. has set up. Again, I don't want to get into an argument about what your thoughts are about that. But the point is, is that my parents will look at that and go, that's unfair. That's how they view fairness in terms of that issue. We had to go through the thing. We had to go to a lottery. We had to fill out the right paperwork. We were denied. We had to wait several years before we could come to Finland or come from Finland. We did it the right way. Seeing people flout the rules, that's unfair, right? That's that's how they would look at it. So someone else would be looking in that situation, maybe someone coming from or escaping a country of violence or trying to make a better life for their family or whatever that it may be, and they're running out of time and they can't afford or whatever the reason is to go through the quote unquote proper channels to get here would be thinking it's unfair to have those rules that you have. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say who's right or wrong, but my point is, is that fairness is in the eye of the beholder, is it not? So we could ask jurors all day if they can be fair and they're all going to say yes. And that's going to mean as many different ways and reasons as there are jurors that we're asking that question of. Not to mention this terrible question because nobody's going to say, no, I can't be fair. I mean, maybe they will if they want to get out of jury selection. But again, another dead end road. The point is by asking those questions, we're already setting up a situation that doesn't serve us instead of actually going to what does serve us, which is I'm looking for jurors who want to do the right thing and will follow the law in doing that right thing. And so though, do you see how that changes everything? That changes the types of questions you're going to ask. That changes your attitude about the process. And, it, and it, you can throw out all the rest of it because that's not actually what you're looking for. You can now go and look at the principles in your case that we talked about in the last podcast episode. And you now can start designing questions around those principles to see how people's bias or their personal beliefs have affected them, how their experiences have affected them in their life, and what beliefs have come out of that. And seeing if they do believe the principles that you're going to bring forth in this trial, which most people do, by the way, despite their life experiences. Because again, principles are things that most of humanity believes are right and just, right? You break it, you buy it, right? You hurt somebody, you make it right. Most people believe that. So that changes the experience when we start changing why we're doing this or what we're looking for. For example, if, if I sent you on a, a, a scavenger hunt and I said, okay, go find me a blue sock and you were out there for two hours and you came back and you said, I can't find it. I said, well, we're not really looking for a blue sock. What we're looking for is a green marble. You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? You're not going to be looking or even finding the thing that you want if you're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for jurors who want to do the right thing. And when we come through that door, now we know what questions to ask. Now we can be true and honest as we stand before the jury. We can throw out the words of fair and impartial. It's like the word God. Everybody has a different experience of what that means. Everybody has a different experience of what fair means. And in terms of impartiality, we don't want jurors to give credence to arguments that aren't equal. Because in many of our cases, they just simply aren't. 
So change your language from fair and impartial to I'm looking for jurors who want to do the right thing because you are and they are out there waiting for you, waiting to be found. You just need to ask the right questions. All right, my friends, talk next week. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to fromhostagetohero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.